Good to be back here with you all this morning. Lauren and Dottie send their regards, even though Dottie can't do anything but gurgle right now. Uh, she, uh, in a shock, please tell me, um, uh, you uh, parents that have experience, I, do they just stay sick their entire lives? I guess is what I'm, we're getting at. We got a, like a little note in the app that said that there was an RSV scare in the classroom um, on Friday afternoon, so that was a fun endeavor Saturday uh, going to those doctor's appointments, but nevertheless, they send the regards, and um, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, they'll be back here with you all and myself if they'll let me. Um, but I've come here today to talk to you about 7-Eleven dumpsters. I just want you to know. Uh, and so to give you context for how we're going to talk about 7-Eleven dumpsters, I need to rewind about 21 months. Uh, as a Tennessean, I had made my way to Fort Worth, Texas to go to Southwestern Seminary. Now, what's a little bit striking and a little bit contrasting in this moment is that I was in a fraternity. And so in a non-shocking twist, seminary life was a little different than fraternity life. Is that fair? Um, it's just a little bit different to say how we had fun was just a little bit different, and it was some adjustments uh, to the point that about 12 hours into my stay in Fort Worth, I realized I probably needed to get out of here pretty quickly. Um, I, I wanted to get what seminary was going to provide for me, an education, but I, I, I wanted to move on, whatever that was. I wanted to get through as quickly as I could. And so uh, being the closeted nerd that I was, I went into my dorm room and charted out a 21-month plan to get out of seminary as quickly as I could. 21 months to finish this four-year degree. Um, and so started doing that and then said goodbye to any type of social life I would have and any type of life I would have and really just put my nose to the grind and did the hard work until there comes this point when I realize that, you know, you go to school in an endeavor to get what they call a job. I didn't actually think about that second part of the plan. I was so consumed with getting through with school, I wasn't really wondering where, to, where I was going to get a job at. And so as March comes around, and I know May is going to start happening, it's going to happen, graduation, I'm going to be finished, and I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm thinking maybe I'll go back to Tennessee, I'll uh, do the reverse track of Davy Crockett and make my way back. I'm thinking maybe I'll stay put, I have no clue what I'm going to do. And so I'm sending out resumes trying to figure out what it is that I'm actually qualified to do, and then hopefully somebody would take a chance on me and let me do it for them. And eventually the time comes that I'm taking about 24 hours worth of classes with about two foreign languages that last semester, and I'm going through final exams for that part. And I'm just not having a good time. Can we just be honest? Not having a good time whatsoever. And uh, eventually I get a phone call with about 10 days before I'm supposed to leave from a potential employer, um, First Baptist Church Arlington, for those that might be familiar. Um, and they bring me on and they ask me if I would, we have this nice conversation for about two hours and then I just let them know, hey, I want you to know that my plan is that I've got, um, I'm going back to Tennessee after graduation. So maybe this could potentially work out, but just know that my process is kind of expedited right now. So if this is the Lord's will, we're gonna have to 
make some moves pretty quickly. And so we have another conversation three days later with some of the larger pastoral staff. It goes pretty well uh, for two hours. Now, granted, remember, this is in the context of me taking about 24 hours worth of graduate level exams. So two hours is, is pretty significant time away in my own small little feeble mind. Because remember, after all, I, I barely passed kindergarten and I did fail my driver's test. So I have to study a little bit. I had to study a little bit more than the average uh, bear, to say the least. And so eventually the time comes that I'm making my way to that third interview. And that third interview is where it, the, the heaviness and the weight of it is coming on me. Uh, and the reason why there was so much heaviness and weight that was bearing on me is one, I was tired. Two, I had all of my earthly belongings in this Ford Taurus uh, that I was driving at the time. Everything that I owned was in this Ford Taurus because my dorm room was packed up. I was going to be taking my last exam tomorrow. And I was driving from Fort Worth to Arlington um, for this last interview. And just kind of got overwhelmed in that moment, you know, where life is just all before you. And I remember, I, I don't know how familiar you are with Arlington, Texas, but I remember driving on Cooper Street and on Cooper Street right next to the Entertain Mart. And there's that, you know, that vacuum cleaner spot that has that big vacuum cleaner randomly. Um, there's a 7-Eleven and there is a dumpster by that 7-Eleven. And I pull over because I, it just, I just got overwhelmed. And the words of that song, I need you, just be, began to reverberate deep in my soul because I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know the adventure my God wanted to take me on. Have you ever had one of those moments where you find yourself at a juncture, at a point where there's just a heaviness about which way I'm going to go, of what I need to do? Because here's what I do know. We need him, and he wants us. And he wants to follow us and work with us and work through us in those moments. You know, I've, I've been um, in Genesis 17 um, as of late when I was thinking about what to share about these moments that we have. And Abram had one of those moments in Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, you remember, we're, we're 25 years advanced since God gave his original promise to Abram of I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. I will, uh, you will extend, I will extend my covenant of loving kindness through you. 25 years has passed since Abram heard that promise and he left his home to go where God was calling him to. 25 years had passed that he, he, Abram and Sarah had been walking that journey. They had one child at that time. For 25 years, he's been investing his life and following after this promise when we get to Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17, we hear God reappear in this moment. God reappears and he speaks to Abram. And while he speaks to Abram and he reminds him of his promise in these first verses. Because there's three points I want us to see out of this story of Abram. And the first point is in these first part of the verses where he's speaking to Abram and he's reminding him of these promises yet again. After 25 years, God is reminding him that I am going to bless you. I am going to, 
I am not only going to bless you, but I'm going to change your name. You will no longer be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. You will be the father of many nations, and I will make, and I, and I am going to do something new and extravagant through you. Abram had a 7-Eleven dumpster moment. And how many of us have had those moments? There is great power in a moment. Um, but what do those moments look like? Uh, Chip and Dan Heath uh, have this great little book out. It's called The Power of Moments. It's a New York Times bestseller. I, I think I'd read their grocery list if they published it. They're incredible authors. They've got another book called Switch that talks about threshold moments that we have. Where, and from a, it's a, more of a business book, but this power of moments is really, uh, really like captures what I think are four characteristics that are defining of those moments that we have. And the first is this idea of elevation. In these moments, they tend to elevate us out of the everydayness of life. How many of us just kind of life? You know, there's tasks to do. There's things that have got to be accomplished. And you know what? They got to get done. And before you know it, you look up and it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Before you know it, you look up and it's already 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And the everydayness of life of just trying to accomplish the task, the days pass you by. In these moments, it's what happens is what's called duration neglect. We're lifted up out of the everydayness and we forget about time just seems to just cease. We just get lifted up, elevation. The second piece is insight. Insight is this understanding of how we view the world and how we view ourselves in it as well. That radically changes during these moments. We have, we're given a new purpose, a new direction one might say, of how we're supposed to interact in this world. Or as Paul would say in Acts 17, how we live, move, and have our being in this world. During those moments, we're elevated one, we're given insight to. The third piece is a sense of pride. A pride because we've worked, we've worked, we've worked, and somehow we've gotten to a moment where we realize there is a reward for that work. There is, there is something that has come about because of it. And the third and the fourth is connection. Connection is uh, Dan and Chip give it, uh, things like baptisms. He, they talk about weddings or moments like this. But essentially what these moments are, these moments that capture us in, this, in, those, in that time, they not only capture us, but they help us to see the connections that, we're, that make up the communities that we find ourselves in. So these defining moments elevate us out of the everyday give us unique insights in how we're to, to live and move and have our being. They provide us pride that we can look back on and think about, oh, that's, that's something I'm going to cherish. And then they give us connections, new commitments with the people that are around us. You see, we all yearn to have these moments, right? One of the stories that I'm always impressed by is with Jacob and he wrestles with God in Genesis 38. Are you all familiar with that story? Jacob wrestles with God, and what I love about that moment of Jacob wrestling with God is he doesn't let go until God is willing to bless him, and then when God blesses him, he knocks him on the hip, and he walks away differently, because that's what happens when you wrestle with God. You'll leave blessed and changed with a limp. We all have these moments, 
We all want these moments. But perhaps more importantly, what we need to know today is that God wants to have these moments with us. Are we, are we available? Are we willing? The power of a moment is on display with Abram in the first part of Genesis 17. The second part of Genesis 17, God directs his attention, moves it from Abraham to now Sarah. He changes her name to Sarah. She'll be the mother of all the nations. And then he says, I'm going to do something new through you as well. It is a keen reminder for Abraham and both for Sarah that we were not meant to be alone. Partners on this journey, the power of a partner cannot be understated in the plans of God. The power of a partner cannot be understated in the plans of God. Whether that's your significant other, whether that's your friends, there is great influence with the people you surround yourself with. I was talking with Doc earlier, and I was telling Doc, diet's not where it needs to be. Hand up. Diet's not where it needs to be. I love these things called French fries. Can't give them up. And then there was, there was these huge onion rings I saw last night. Who among us? <laughs> They're just so good. They're so good. I, I got to get a better diet. And so I was doing, I read, ran across this study, and what they found is that if a key part to getting a better diet, if you want one, is that if you eat with people that eat healthy. When you eat with people that eat healthy, it's not that they're controlling your plate, it's that you feel guilt because of what your plate looks like. <laughs> Is that not right? Uh, order the, te- order the um, onion rings, don't, they still look appetizing, don't get me wrong, but when they're, when they're right across the table from those vegetables, they don't have to say anything, the vegetables have spoken enough. There's great influence with the people that we surround ourselves with. Jim Rohn, I'm sure you're familiar with Jim Rohn, motivational speaker. He has what's called the Rohn Rule. He says it's the rule of five, right? It's the five people. We are the average of the five people we surround ourselves with, right? And so the question, what I'm always fascinated by, and I I think about those five people that I'm probably closest to, um, and they help you understand where you are, but more importantly, they help you understand where you'll be because the five people you surround yourself with, you largely begin to look uh, and act like them. So who are those five people for you when you think about it in your life? Who are those close friends that when, uh, when you want to celebrate something with, when you want to just vent to, who are those five people that are getting that text message? And in turn, who are those people that are looking to you when they want to celebrate, when things get tough. Who are those five people? Because in turn, you potentially could become one of those five. But perhaps the, uh, C.S. Lewis, he is, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Um, But in his book, Five Loves, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with Five Loves, probably what I absolutely love the most about that book is the little anecdote he shares about the power of friendships. He talks about these three individuals that have friends um, that are friends and they go to the pub together, they enjoy meals together, they've lived life together for a number of years until eventually the time comes that one of them passes away. Ronald passes away. And then the two friends continue to meet. 
And then Lewis observes that no longer were those two friends meeting because a part of them had died as well. And the point that he was trying to make, the point that he did make, is how often not only do, not only do our friends have power over us, but also our friends bring out something in us. You know? You all have those friends in your life that it's something that they do that unlocks something in you. Those people in your life that, that my brother brings out a side of me that nobody else can. It's not always good, especially when the Titans are playing right now. That's why I got my phone on Do Not Disturb. But, uh, um, but you know, there's people in our lives that unlock certain things inside of us. And what we see with Sarah, what we see with Sarah and Abraham's relationship is the power of partners, the power of friends when you're pursuing after the plans of God. Don't sleep on your, on your people. And then the third component um, has probably just being very blunt is probably the one that stings the most for me, which is the plans of God. What is it? You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans, right? Um, uh, I, I so resonate and relate with Abraham in this moment because remember God is saying that he's going to do a new thing. He's saying he's going to do something different. And so remember how I told you that it had been 25 years since God had communicated with Abram when we get to Genesis 17. He told them the original plan, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. My covenant of loving kindness is going to be extended through you. In Abram's mind, he's got one son, Ishmael. And so can you imagine the pressure and the, or maybe not the pressure is the right word, but the efforts that Abraham had put in this son that is going to inherit this kingdom of covenant promise that God has given to Abraham. After 25 years of over and over and over reminding him of that covenant of loving kindness, God comes to Abraham, changes him, blesses him, and then in Genesis 17 says, I'm going to do something new, not through Ishmael, but through a son you don't even have. We all remember how Sarah in that moment laughs, right? She laughs. But do we remember what Abraham said? He says in Genesis 17, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Translation, God, why won't you just bless what I'm already doing? Why won't you just sprinkle a little blessing on what I've already got going on? Why do you got to change things up? Why? Because God just doesn't want to sprinkle blessing in our life. He wants to give us a new life of blessing. He wants to change things up if we're willing to trust him. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined I'd be here with you all. No offense. I love you all. I'm from Tennessee. All my family's in Tennessee. I didn't imagine coming out to Texas, going to seminary, that I'd be in oil and gas now. That's not the track that usually seminarians go on, you know? But you know what? God didn't want to sprinkle blessing in my life. He wanted to bless my life if I was willing to trust him and follow after him. The question is, are we willing to trust him? You know, I, uh, I'm doing a little side project for Dallas Baptist University, and um, confession, still a nerd to this day. 
and uh, I kind of got off on a tangent, a little rabbit trail, and it was talking about research regarding vacations. Now that is a rabbit trail, I know. Um, and so it was talking about vacations, and what it was referring to is it was unique because it wasn't just through interviews that they were trying to identify the favorite part of a vacation. They weren't just doing interviews with individuals, but they were also doing those interviews when they were hooked up to various machines so that they can measure brainwave and heart activity, et cetera. They were better trying to identify what was the peak point of happiness relative to vacations. And you know what they found? It wasn't when they got there. It wasn't during that best meal that they had. It wasn't during that day it wasn't when they finished. You know what the happiest point of a vacation is? The planning part. The planning of a vacation is the happiest. Why? Because how many times do our plans end up faltering? In that vacation that you dreamed of, there's an inconvenience, there's turbulence that causes it not to go the way that you imagined. Can I tell you this? God's plans never fail, and God's plans are greater than yours. He will not be thwarted. Our dreams pale in comparison to God's plans if we'll trust him. You see, God had a plan starting from eternity that God would not send his son into the world to take it over through military means like some thought he would. God didn't send his son into the world to initiate a new kingdom to, through a, a reformation of the priests like some others thought he would. Rather, God sent his son into the world through a little baby Jesus. Though equality with God was a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself into the form of a servant. He would take on our sins so that we might take on his righteousness and by his wounds we would be healed. No one imagined the plan that God would take to save and redeem a people. But that plan today still stands true, and it's why we can all say together, Jesus is Lord. You can trust God's plans. You might find yourself at a dumpster, metaphorically, in a 7-Eleven parking lot. But know this, God's there with you, and he's going to help you through it and see it through it until his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you so much for this time that you've given us and for the opportunity, Father, to meet with you. And so God, I just ask you to bless us now. Um, we we want to follow after you as best that we can wherever you're leading. And so Father, it's a twofold request. Uh, God, give us the insight and the wisdom to know where you're going. And Father, give us the courage to follow after it. God, give us the grace where we're, where, where we're hesitant. And give us your love to compel us to go places that, you would never, that we would never go ourselves, but we know that you're leading. And help us to understand, Father, that your love is so deep for us and your commitment to us, because great is your faithfulness, Father. I love you, and I thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. I ask you just to continue to bless, as you always do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.